0: TV is like a long relationship that ends abruptly or wistfully. One way or another, TV will break your heart. everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night, we are a Game of Thrones show on the Podbreed Network and we work with our friends at the NARTH subreddit as well. My name is Rob and I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at
1: least half a dozen times. And my name is Lizzie and I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones Yay. for the very first time. I've waited 18 months to say this. Yeah, happened.
0: Um, if you want to as always you can find us on Twitter, we are at LongestNightGOT, that is at LongestNightGOT. I'll leave a link to that page in the description. Our title music, as always, was provided by a friend of the podcast, Edward Thomas, and you can find all of his available work in the description as well. You will notice a little difference to the uh, the quality of the audio recording, and that's yeah. because because it's the final episode. We decided to to actually sit in the same room, and so we're, <laughs> we're sat in we're sat in my flat at my table where I normally uh, normally record episodes. Um, yeah, but you, you drove up and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah, not plane. like it's a huge distance between yeah. where we live. But yeah, you you decided to come over and uh, yeah, talk about the final episode in person together. Um, we watched. I mean, we've seen the final episode together. We watched the bells together, the mm. long night together. So it's about time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. W- when better time than right at the end to um, actually speak about it in person. Um, all of this season, we have been talking about what was going on on the nineteenth of uh on the 19th of may uh 2022 um the basically this day three years ago where were we and what was i doing um and to be honest by this point in the final season i had it, it was a shit time to like game of thrones mm. to be honest yeah. because you were sitting there watching the episodes and every time something happened especially after the after the long night every time something happened you just knew that, like, you would come on to Twitter or Reddit afterwards Mm -hmm. and people would just be so mad about something that you'd sat there and really loved. Yeah. It's kind of like, for people who watch sports and stuff, there are certain players, and and I think this is the case for all sports, where, like, there are certain players that we find ourselves attached to despite their imperfections. Yeah. And those imperfections are always there and you hope that they go away because you feel like nobody else really understands them in a way that you do. And mm-hmm. so every time they make a mistake, you're like, oh God, because you know that 20,000 <laughs> other people are going to be like going, you're fucking idiot. Yeah. You're rubbish. And yeah. so like with City for a while, because I support Manchester City, my player, like that was Raheem Sterling. Mm-hmm. I love Raheem Sterling so much, but he does have imperfections in his game and there are imperfections that people really like to focus in on whenever things aren't going completely right um for the team and so for game of thrones it was like i love this thing so much despite its imperfections by the end and i knew that every time something happened by this point it was like god i can't believe they're destroying the show um Mm -hmm. and so by the time of the final episode i was i I was very keen to watch it on my own by myself don't take in any reaction. Don't look on Twitter while the episode is airing. Don't go on Reddit for a week afterwards. And thank God I actually found the North subreddit, which was formed because the main Game of Thrones subreddits were not keen. Right. Okay. And we were unable to discuss anything about the ending without being like downvoted yeah, and yeah. being hounded by people. And so we decided to form a nice little place of our own where we could yeah. discuss the show and so that is, I'm very grateful that that place formed and I said before on the show that I'm one of the moderators over there now and I think discussion will pick up again when House of the Dragon starts it's oh, things definitely. are a bit flat at the moment but um
1: could you remember where you were 19th of May 2022 oh god not not specifically I remember vaguely that I was at North Coders at the time I think there was a Slack channel for like Game Throne spoilers and I avoided <laughs> it I still avoided it like the play, because I thought, this will mean nothing to me. I don't know who these characters are. Yeah, It's yeah. not like I can join in the discussion. But, yeah, I don't remember a lot specifically about this time. I don't even really remember there being that much, like, in the way of promotion. Mm. Again, it's a bit of a, a hazy time, but... Yeah,
0: it was... Um, I mean, the other thing as well with me was that um, I actually, at this time, I was quite unwell and I actually needed to go into hospital Mm. wasn't like an urgent thing it was more of like a slowly progressing developing situation Um, and I was asked I remember being phoned up on a Monday morning after the bells had gone out so it was the 13th of May Mm -hmm. and I remember being asked we've got a bed free for you do you want to come in and I thought can I hold off six days and so I held off six days and I went into hospital on the 22nd of May and I was there for 2 weeks. Um yeah, I went into hospital on 22nd of May because I, I held out for for the end of the show because I knew that if I went into hospital I wouldn't be able to watch it. Um or if I'd have to torrent it or something I I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. And so it was it was worth holding on the 6 days for. I mean, with the gift of hindsight as well, it it really it wasn't a bad decision. <laughs> so um I'm quite grateful for that. But um coming back to this week of this year, We've been doing all the stuff about merchandise tie ins this season as well. And there was a very strange one this week that I had my attention drawn to by yourself, Lizzie, and by uh, Jack, who tweets us sometimes. Yeah. And we chat with him. Um, Yeah, what is that strange merchandise tie (laughs) in?
1: Oh, it's funny, isn't it? Oh, just when, just when you think we've covered them all, yeah, we did them think all think we, last week, and one more pops up. We me. found the weirdest one. Oh no! Um, so there is an upcoming crossover fighting game called Multiversus. Um, there was a trailer released a few days before this was recorded, and it features um, big Warner Brother names like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Bugs Bunny, Shaggy from Scooby Doo, Harley Quinn, <laughs> Steven Universe, and Arya Stark.
0: Yeah, Warner Brothers now own HBO, don't they? Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That word multiverse is starting to freak me out a little bit because I'm now realizing that the word multiverse is kind of shorthand <laughs> for all of these major media conglomerates buying everything up. Mm-hmm. And that means that they can have these kinds of things that don't really, the combination of universes that don't. that don't usually intersect and don't usually interact and touch each other. Now they can just make them do it and Mm -hmm. then say, oh, well, it's the multiverse. And you can make memes out of Arya Stark and Bugs Bunny talking to each other because (laughs) why not? It's just, yeah, I feel to me, it just, like, it looks fun, but I guess it's not really that different to something like Smash Brothers. But, like, it just feels a little bit... Like oh look at all this shit! Look at all this shit we own. Like you know, I mean, really weird example, but like I really like um, the second Wreck-It Ralph film. Yeah. But there's that bit in the middle where they go to like Disney Park or something, and it's just oh it's just Disney going look at all this shit we own like Star Wars and all the Disney princesses. Didn't you know that we're woke now and like we're making you aware that we treated our princesses so terribly a hundred years ago because of course we did. And yeah, it uh, it it all feels a little bit too close to that. You know that? um, I don't know if you do know that Bo Burnham song. It's just called "That Funny Feeling."
1: I've not heard that one. Um, Check
0: it out. It's uh, basically just him listing off a bunch of stuff like this, and the only way he can sum it up is by saying, "There it is again, that funny feeling." Mm and it's you know it, this it, the song manages to capture the fact that like not only is your childhood dying but like it's being bought up and sold off again and we're all kind of heading towards the end of the world anyway and you just sort of sit there and go oh mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it feels like if if there were e- if there were extra verses to that funny feeling I think um, you know. Warner Multiverse Sire's Dog versus Bugs Bunny (laughs) or something like that and it's yeah quite a quite a sad song actually I made it sound like a bit of a bit of a circus tune but it it really isn't yeah Yeah.
1: I mean it's it's something I fear though like um, I get multiverse fatigue in the same way I get um, prequel fatigue and you know like side you know like how Star Wars has just just you know descended into this pit of never ending Like, just telling the minutiae of the story. That's what I really worry is going to happen to Game of Thrones eventually.
0: Yeah, well, the feeling I get when I watch this final episode is... God, I hope they never, ever go back to these characters. Oh, please. I don't mind them going back to the world, because at least with House of the Dragon, non- it, it it happens so far before the events of Game of Thrones that I think it gets away with being a prequel spin-off because nothing's connected. That's true, yeah. There are no char- there, there will be no characters present in House of the Dragon that ever appear in Game of Thrones, Yeah. ever. And so there's no... The, the, the drama is still there for me about like for people who don't know about it they'll be like oh i wonder what happens to this person Mm. and oh i wonder what happens to that person and i really really hope that there's been an interview with maisie williams recently because she's in a couple of things at the moment there's a couple of dramas coming up that she's going to be in and they ask her whether ayo is going to do a spin-off and she's like oh not at the moment but you know i'd never say no and i'm just like no leave it alone leave it completely alone don't touch it just I mean we'll talk about it when we get to that bit of the episode but her ending is so ideal for me yeah I agree. and yeah I, it, Game of Thrones being pulled into this kind of thing my issue with Star Wars is I have I, you know the thing with Star Wars is it at least with the nine films where they are you can ignore every, you can ignore all the extracurricular stuff at least you know like it's different to Marvel where I went and saw Doctor Strange which is the first Marvel film I've seen in about 18 months and all of it went over my head because mm-hmm. like I've, ch- I've checked out of like one or two things and not watched the TV shows and I'm, yeah. I'm lost Yeah, I'm completely lost whereas at least with Star Wars my issue with Star Wars is that they never seem to go outside the footprint of the nine films it's all within but at least the benefit of that is that you can ignore the only thing that you maybe be a bit lost with is at the end of Solo when you find out that Darth Maul was given Robot legs in a TV series and brought back to life, and that's about Uh, it. But like, that's that's all you really have to worry about with Star Wars. But yeah, with Game of Thrones being pulled in, it it seemed like by the end of the show, all of the actors were done with the characters. They were done with the show, done with the characters, and they were sick of playing them in a nice way. But like, yeah, sort of like right, time to do something else now. Time to you know, a lot of them went back to theatre and a lot of them went off and did other things and they've all done quite small projects ever since I think yeah. they all kind of hated how much focus they were under oh,
1: by the I'm end
0: um, yeah especially when it turned like this so yeah we will we will get in uh, to the episode now the final episode can you believe it's come to this mm. This week we are going to be discussing Season 8, Episode 6 of Game of Thrones, the series and season finale, entitled The Iron Throne. It was written by series creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss, and it was also directed by series creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss. It was first broadcast on the 19th of May, 2019, to an audience of 13.61 million people, which was the largest audience it it ever posted. Um, which tends to be the case for yeah. quite a lot of TV shows. So, Lizzie, the final time I'm going to ask you this: What did you make of the episode?
1: Yes, yeah, all right. Yeah, do you want to expand on the all right? <laughs> okay, okay, fine. You okay. So, it's a tricky one because final episodes of series always tend to be—they're up there with the most controversial ones, right? You yeah. think of name any high profile tv show the ending is going to be controversial i'm not going to name names cause I don't want to in, one, in one way or another yeah um and so like and there's a number of reasons for that it's very difficult to please fans of a long running show who all have different ideas about how the show might end where they want the characters to be how they envision a satisfying ending and so on and as a result it's much harder to summarize a finale like this without bringing in all of that additional baggage if, you know, full of the weight of expectation that you're logging around with it. Like the most base level insight I can give about this episode is that it's good but not great. Like on the plus side, there's no one conclusion for any one character where I'm left like scratching my head in bewilderment. But the tone of the episode seems to veer wildly from like one extreme to another. It starts out it's quite this tense dystopian introduction. And then it leads into the weirdly kind of sedate council scenes, and then you go into oh god that small council scene, which feels like the last day of school, and yeah, yeah. it goes in the more sombre direction. There's the Stark kids split up for the second time, with some presumably never to cross paths again. And yeah, I think the other problem is like with it, you know, like with at least one other episode this season, it feels like two different episodes kind of smashed together yeah and it results in a plot that i think is absolutely fine but a tonal inconsistency that i find too jarring to overlook uh
0: yeah i to be honest i don't disagree um before this final episode, before the final season actually um i was asked like is there anything that they could do that would really bother you now like really upset you and i was like no i don't i don't really think so Mm. um And when it came to the final episode, all I really wanted was for it to be appropriately and carefully done. And I think when the episode ended, I sat there and thought, yeah, that felt like it was appropriately judged. It felt emotionally satisfying. Yeah. But with time, uh, yeah, I kind of agree that once Daenerys is out of the way all of the drama just vanishes. It's just yeah, gone. It is just totally, totally gone. I think the second half is a wee bit corny in places. Episode probably could have benefited from being split in two as well. Yeah. Um, but I think it ensures everything ends in a way that makes sense. It feels emotionally appropriate. Um I think that the first half of the episode, the dread and the pain and the confusion and the the fear, is all really well communicated. The first 40 minutes of the episode are excellent. I, re- I really, really do. Yeah. I love the first 40 minutes. And then it kind of morphs into this quite meta episode, I think, about the show itself where there are a couple of times where Tyrion does kind of turn towards us mm-hmm. and starts asking us questions like... What unites people and all all of this and like and Game of Thrones writers kind of looking at themselves and going like we've brought all of these people together because of the story that we decided to tell and how can we work that into the episode? Uh, my favorite line, my favorite line of the episode is Tyrion's. Ask me again in ten years because it feels yeah. like Jon and Tyrion are having that conversation about whether what they did was the right thing. Mm. and it feels like Benioff and Wise talking to each other like was it a good idea to do this and then the only way that you can know whether a TV finale is good or not is how you feel about it years down the line absolutely not right in that moment Um, and then I think where it ends is just it's basically it's an episode about a ton of characters who are finally 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 so broken from everything that they've endured across the course of the series is that they all just kind of walk away
1: yeah, that's they funny. all just kind of go
0: oh, fine, and they they sod it all off and like <laughs> they they give it all up.
2: Shafka rejsi an han rejsi sandali. Adravish adrevish get anima hoggironshi getimori. Shafka adrevish okuene gin mori.
0: In the first part of the episode in King's Landing, Jon, Davos and Tyrion re-enter the city to find it all but destroyed. Tyrion heads to the ruined Red Keep alone, and eventually finds the bodies of Jaime and Cersei underneath the rubble. In the city streets, Jon and Davos find Grey Worm and the Unsullied, executing Lannister prisoners. Elsewhere in the city, the Dothraki are celebrating their victory. Jon makes his way through the crowd, while Drogon flies overhead with Daenerys. Daenerys then addresses her army and says that their mission is not over, and that they must continue liberating the people of Westeros. Tyrion returns from the Red Keep and publicly resigns as Daenerys is Hand of the Queen. Tyrion is then taken captive by the Unsullied and escorted to a cell. After Daenerys returns to the Red Keep, Aya meets with John and warns him that both he and Sansa now stand in Daenerys' way. Uh so I guess we, we start where the episode does. Yeah. This this I actually had a look. Um it's four words with four minutes with no dialogue. Yeah. And ten minutes with no music. Yeah. They really, really went for like silence. Like the two, I, I thought about this. The two episodes that Benioff and Weiss have directed before this, which was Walker Punishment in season three and Two Swords in season one, uh, season four. Sorry, they both open with entirely wordless sequences where you get Hosty Tully's funeral yep. with with the bow uh, trying to ignite the the funeral pyre, and you get Tywin Lannister melting down. The, the two the, the great sword into two swords and both of them are entirely wordless and this one is no different, this dramatic wordless sequence where a thousand emotions are poured into an empty space and mm-hmm. these feel like the darkest ones for sure. How do you feel about that opening stretch where they're walking down that street and Yeah,
1: I, like you I think it's really beautiful and like like you say, Benioff from wise clearly recognize how effective a scene can be with little to no dialogue, this being no exception. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like all you need is Tyrion walking through the wreckage. It's like it's like it's a mix of like ash and snow falling from the sky.
0: Yeah. Um, I yep. I think so, yeah. Um it was hard to tell at the time, but I think what has essentially happened in King's Landing is equivalent to like a nuclear winter. Yeah. Where like yeah. because there is such a huge ash cloud above the city that no sunlight's getting in that's true because it's winter anyway snow is falling and because the whole place is burnt to hell it's ash and so yeah i think it's well it's ice and fire in it so yeah that's
1: true yeah and and like in a you know amidst this you just see that one stranger walking in streets which you know were once crowded you've seen Tyrion walk them a thousand times yeah and there's just a sea of like charred bodies, and this is even before he realises that Jamie and Cersei are dead, I'm sure he's probably figured it out. Yeah, I
0: think that's why he goes alone.
1: Yeah, but it's like he's sort of, he's already grieving the death of his beloved home city, which has been destroyed before his eyes, and is still covered with undying flames, and it's just, you know that he manages to hold in his outpouring of grief until that moment where he actually does find them it's kind yeah. of a miracle he does because they you know they were crushed by an entire building uh
0: yeah the moment with jamie's hand sticking out of the uh <laughs> the rubble is a bit like oh, okay but yeah. i suppose they have to do that to get to the character moment don't oh, of course, yeah um, i mean i don't know about you but when Tyrion's walking through the red keep to go and find them and he's walking through the the chambers of the hand and like where the small council meetings took place and stuff in my head, I imagine all the echoes of all the conversations and all of the arguments that have happened in that room down yeah. the years. Like, all of the, the... Cersei and Tywin, like, Cersei finally admitting to Tywin that, like, her and Jamie were in a relationship and, I will burn our house to the ground before I let that happen. And, like, all of Cersei's little conversations with Tycho and Astoris last season. Yeah. And Jamie and Cersei having that argument last season. And all of those scenes, and it's like, you can hear them all all the chairs scraping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can hear them all echoing off the walls, like, everyone is mind to torment. I'm not tired. And all of those scenes that I think back to. Um, and then once he gets there, um, it's just really good from Peter Dinklage, like, the smashing totally. of the bricks, the, the tears. And I think that, in the end, he thought that, with Tyrion, in full retrospect, he's a character who... When he was over in Essos, it, the idea of Daenerys coming to take the Iron Throne felt like a, a pipe dream, and he could imagine it in his head as like, "Oh yeah, of course." Yeah. But then Cersei takes the throne just as he gets to Westeros, and it becomes a whole like it becomes a whole thing where it's he's caught between wanting to see Daenerys on the throne and believing that she can produce a better world and then slowly realising as he gets closer and closer to it that he can't commit emotionally to the idea of the way that Cersei's going to have to give up the throne.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think he hoped that she would abdicate. Yeah, which she was never going to. And no, um, I think... the clo- And then the closer he gets... I, I think quite a lot of this is Tyrion's fault, everything that happens, because he has tried very hard to find a, a bloodless scenario where I don't mm. think one was ever really possible. No, no. And I think when he finds Jamie and Cersei's bodies, he realises that that's probably his greatest failure, which is that in the end he wanted to save his family while also seeing Daenerys on the throne, and he realises that he couldn't do it and that mm. he can't have Daenerys on the throne either. And so yeah. both of the things that he wanted are gone, and it's a lot to... Again, it all comes through in the silence. This is why I like silence in stuff, because it means that you can pour your own perspective into it.
1: Exactly.
0: Benioff and Weiss could have completely different feelings about what Tyrion is doing in this moment, but in my opinion, it's him witnessing his dream, both of his dreams, dying and crashing (laughs) at once. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. He decides to to smash. (laughs) Um, The the stuff just before that with Jon, Tyrion and Davos, and then when Daenerys flies overhead on Drogon after we've gone and seen what Tyrion's doing feels so scary because none of them have any idea where Daenerys is or what version of her they're going to find when they speak to her again. Like they're they're entering the city again, trying to find Daenerys and trying to find what's going on. And none of them are quite sure who they're going to find and Mm -hmm. what happened up there and why she's done this. And, None of them have really got an understanding of the situation, and they're just kind of wandering through while people who are burnt down several layers of skin just kind of amble past them, wandering to nowhere. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the stuff on this, the the Great Staircase, like the the Unsullied and the Dothraki and Daenerys, like the, the dragon wings behind her, like how, how's all that for you?
1: Yeah, I mean. It's funny with um, Daenerys' victory speech, like, you know, a small bit of editing could have changed it from tense and threatening to, like, optimistic and proud, almost. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, as we said in the last episode, she's not a villain, and she doesn't say anything particularly egregious here either. Hmm. The wheel is something that absolutely should be broken, and she's right to say that people across the world have been held down by it for far too long. The problem is, it takes more than just one person to destroy it and it can't be done with fire and blood because it's too easy to get stuck in the same cycle that way
0: mm-hmm. my opinion on this scene has changed a little bit over the years I think the imagery and is, is really impressive and it's strong mm. but I think they go a bit too heavy handed with how much this is clearly and they've said this that it's been influenced by Triumph of the Will okay um, I think they go a bit too far with, like, the gothic army leader imagery because it feels like... The shot with the wings is cool, like, she has become the dragon. Yep, oh, yeah, that, that's yeah. great. But I prefer the version of Daenerys that's in the throne room scene mm. after this, where... Because it, it, in my opinion, Daenerys's mindset in this moment I don't know if it's just because they're trying to communicate how she seems to Jon and Tyrion and Arya, who are, like, looking up at this on the ground, like, whoa, this is really scary. But Daenerys isn't a villain, but a lot of the imagery here is quite villain-esque. Yes, I agree. And I think they have their cake and eat it a little bit too much there, where they've enjoyed the idea of, like, oh, we could do, what if? What what if we do a shot like this? And I I get that she's just putting on a front for her armies and she's trying to be like a strong commander and that the more innocent childlike Daenerys that appears afterwards that's the truer representation but it's cool it is cool I think rule of cool does kind of win for me on this occasion I think the pros outweigh the cons ever so slightly Um, and then Tyrion wanders up and makes a bit of a decision so yeah what do you make of that
1: well I mean it's a bit sudden and like you say there is that fear of you don't know which Daenerys you're getting but I think at this point I guess Tyrion's kind of he's almost given up yeah he's
0: got a bit of a death wish I think
1: yeah it's so it's like you know the rest of my family's dead why shouldn't I be if anything I probably should have died a long time ago so what do I really have to lose and you know as we've said it's not the it's you know I guess Daenerys is technically queen, but it's not the Daenerys he expected or wanted.
0: No. Um, like I say, the, the the reality is that the mission has been achieved. Daenerys can now take the Iron Throne, but the version of it, mm, mm. no. And I, I imagine, I don't know if this is what they actually came up with, but like, I imagine in my head that like, at one stage when they were writing this, they were like, um, and Tyrion and Daenerys come to blows over and Tyrion says and you slaughtered a city for it and god the tension's so it's so tense you could hear a pin drop and then he drops a pin and that's true yeah yeah, he resigns as Hand of the King and does his big dramatic like down the staircase away the pin goes Uh, the Unsullied all stop doing the thing and uh, yeah Tyrion's not in a good spot
2: no must it matter what I do It matters more than anything. When she murdered the slavers of Astapur, I'm sure no one but the slavers complained. After all, they were evil men. When she crucified hundreds of Myronese nobles, who could argue they were evil men? The Dothraki calls she burned alive. They would have done worse to her. Everywhere she goes, evil men die, and we cheer her for it. And she grows more powerful and more sure that she is good and right.
0: In part two of the episode, John visits Tyrion in his cell, and during their long conversation, Tyrion explains to John that he must choose between his love for Daenerys and his duty to his family and the rest of Westeros, implying that Daenerys will kill Sansa if she does not bend the knee. Shortly afterwards, Daenerys reaches the destroyed throne room. Jon follows her and, knowing what he must do if she cannot see reason, implores her to forgive those who have chosen not to follow her. But when it becomes clear that Daenerys is not going to be willing to be merciful to those who won't join her cause, Jon drives a knife into Daenerys' heart and kills her. Drogon then appears behind Jon and, noticing that Daenerys is dead, roars with grief and shoots fire. However, instead of directing his fire at Jon, the fires instead melt the Iron Throne completely. Drogon then picks up Daenerys' body and flies towards the east. So this part of the episode is basically two extended two-hander scenes. Yeah. The first of which is it has a very difficult job and it gets there very slowly and looking back I think this is really rewarding. I think this is the last great you know the last chance for Game of Thrones to do a great two-hander, and yeah. I think it. I think it does that. What what takeaways have you got? Because it's quite a meaty conversation that they have.
1: Yeah, and if you put Tyrion in one of these scenes, you've got gold usually. And that speech to John kind of acts as a way of reminding the audience of what Danny's done over the course of eight seasons. It's like, like we were saying last week, this this isn't a sudden change. It's mm. been this kind of growing like a monster that we've helped create by cheering her on while she's done this over all these years and yeah it just it does bring home the fact that you know well if you tolerate this then your sister will be next
0: (laughs) (laughs) any manix fans listening right now (laughs) um yeah like when he mentions the carls and stuff I think back to when we were covering Book of the Stranger, which is the episode that that happens in, and I remember you bringing up unprompted by me, like that you were a little bit like, mm, "She's done this again." Yeah, uh, are we a little bit concerned about this? Um, but yeah, it's not easy to explain what happened in the last episode, but they do a really good job of explaining what's happened, not just in the last episode, but across the previous eight seasons. I think Tyrion has to slowly pull John's head out of the sand about this. Where, yeah, Daenerys, I think a lot of people in Essos are always going to be very thankful for the things that Daenerys did, but I always think back to Sir saying about Daenerys's father, where it was like he doled out justice to those he thought mm. that he deserved it, and every time he did it, he felt more powerful yeah. and more right, and it's like, Tyrion, you are just saying Sir words verbatim,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: to me, confirms that Tyrion replaced Sabarristan, which is yep. why they killed him off. Because yep. you can't have two of those kinds of characters th- together. I often wonder what Sabarristan would make of this, whether he would still be supportive of Daenerys up to a, a certain mm. point. I, I often I often wonder about that. Um, I mean, I don't really know why, but uh, it's just something that comes up. I wonder what Jorah would have made of it as well. But then oh, again, true, yeah. if Jorah and Sabarristan were here there's a strong argument to say that this wouldn't have happened. No. Because Jorah and Sabaristom are always quite good at going, now, easy now. Like, yeah, you want to get, you know, you're getting a bit, you know, hot-headed and that's fine. We understand why, but maybe not, you know, y- you want to achieve your vision without resorting to authoritarian warfare tactics. So, let's, yeah. let's calm it down. But, but even, like, know.
1: even then with Tyrion, um, you know, her response was always along the lines of, Well, you know, maybe you're just another Lannister, maybe you're mm. one of them and I guess you could say that for Sadaristin and mm. Jorah as well. obviously Jorah spied on her for the Lannisters. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think there was a there was a love between Jorah and Daenerys that never existed between Daenerys and Tyrion. I just think Definitely. that that there was an affection, there was a genuine I think Daenerys saw Jorah as a kind uncle or a father whereas yeah. Jorah had other intentions um, I am a little bit confused in this scene about Tyrion saying that he was in love with Daenerys but not as successfully as Jon I, I don't really know what that means because I'm so mm. glad that they didn't go for like Tyrion's in love with Daenerys because I'm so tired of people lusting after Daenerys and then being I don't know quote unquote friend zoned or advisor zoned or whatever yeah. Um I yeah I didn't I, I I wouldn't have been keen on that. But I think what he means is that he loved her in a more not necessarily platonic, but a more he believed in her vision and like he loved her in the sense that like he idolized her a little bit. Yeah, too like a much. hero. Sort of. Yeah, he believed in her, and you know he was a cynic, and then he always says, you know, I saw where belief got people, mm-hmm. but then he believes anyway. And then Belief gets him where Belief gets everybody else, or where he thought Belief got everybody else. Um, But I think something else that this episode does is explain that Jon's character has not been building up to having an epic sword fight with the Night King... It's been having to choose between, as Maester Raymond says, honour on the one hand and those he loves on the other, which is all the way back in Season 1, Episode 9, where it yeah. says, if your father had to choose between honour on one hand and those he loves on the other, what decision do you think he would make? And John says he would do what was right, no matter yep. the cost. And Maester Raymond says, well, your father is one in 10,000. And so... John is faced with a similar moral quandary here, where it's like it's another trolley problem presented to another character in the show, where whatever whatever decision they make is gonna hurt. Yeah. And you have to make the one that will hurt the fewest people. And love is the death of duty is something that's hung over John's character the whole time, and here it comes. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um if i have one criticism of this scene and of the episode generally that like i always think about it's that Tyrion and john tell us how daenerys is feeling before we get much of a chance to speak to daenerys yeah that's true there is a level of interior psychological analysis which doesn't happen with daenerys until we get to the throne room mm. i wish there had been one extra scene in this first half of the episode that pushed it to 50 minutes and then they could have done all of the stuff afterwards next week just one more scene with Daenerys talking to Grey Worm or somebody yeah
1: absolutely yeah
0: just to sort of explain it from Daenerys's point of view we eventually get that but Mm -hmm. it's we only get it in the throne room scene and I think that what Tyrion and Jon say to each other and what Tyrion eventually makes Jon understand is completely fair enough and I think it's you know a really good explanation of what happened last week but I wish we'd heard it from Daenerys and I kind of understand I mean I don't often go in for criticism like this but I can understand why people at the time were a bit like ugh two men talking about a woman's psychology and like I don't often go in for criticism like yeah. that I think it's a bit reductive to look at things like that because You know, this show has always written about its... I always think it's, you know, 99% of the time it's written its female characters very intelligently and it's understood them and it's been very sympathetic with them. And it wouldn't just suddenly change its mind now. I always think about the Rotten Tomatoes consensi or consensuses about the the final two seasons where um, in season seven it's like Game of Thrones roars back with powerful storytelling and delightful visuals, um, and and a particular focus on the female characters. And I'm like, okay, Mm. this is enough of a critical consensus that this many (laughs) critics are focusing just on how the female characters are represented. Yeah. Wow. And then in the final season, it says, um, Game of Thrones shortchanges its female characters in a mad dash to the finish. And I'm like... I don't think it does shortchange it, but this is what I meant about Battle of the Bastards, where it was like feminism isn't good things happening to women. No, and I think that's where there was a bit of a dividing line between how I was watching it and what I thought a good feminist, or like I don't even know what a good feminist character is, but like you know, just like a a good solid three dimensional female character was exactly uh, compared to what other people thought one was. That there, there is a divide there, but in this moment in particular, I do think there is a slight missed opportunity. We get it eventually, but I do think there is a slightly missed opportunity for a longer analysis of what happened a week ago.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's not enough Daenerys in general in this episode, considering what she's just done.
0: Yeah, and um, we see her deliver the speech and then we see her die.
1: Yeah, see, it does seem like yeah. A, a- yeah, short shrift.
0: Yeah. John bumping into Drogon. Did you take a note about that? I did. Outside? No. I just think it's really cool. Like, the way that he emerges from, like, the, the rubble underneath and he just sort of peers at John. He just seems so puny in comparison. It's like something out of Pokemon or something. It's it's always something I've quite liked.
1: <laughs> it was a but, bit like, oh, why is John looking at this pile of ash? Oh, it's Drogon! Oh, there he is.
0: <laughs> why is it moving? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,. So, the scene in the throne room, I think we'll I'll probably have to break it down into a couple of things. Um, okay. So, we'll go all the way back to the season two finale. Yeah. Um. What notes have you got about the scene's relation to that now?
1: Yeah, because in... You um, think, when she's in Carth, right? Yeah, she, House of the Undying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she approaches the Iron Throne in you know, another near-destroyed throne room covered in snow. And like in both scenes, however, she never sits on the throne itself. She just touches the corner as if to make sure it's not an illusion. Yeah. And, you know, it it, it wasn't until you pointed it out to me that I realised what the rest of the vision meant. You know, she she walks through the gate at the wall and ends up with Karl Drogo. It's a premonition of her own death. Yeah. She gets within arm's reach of what she's fought so long for, only to be distracted by a presence from the north that she's greatly underestimated. And in the end, the throne turned out to be a mountain of swords too high to climb. Yeah,
0: that's a very beautiful way of putting it.
1: Yeah. Um, I I mean,
0: I don't think that it was planned when they wrote, because that thing from the House of the Undying, it's a longer sequence in the books that they Mm. condensed for the show purposes because otherwise you'd just watch 20 minutes of Daenerys like walking through various rooms and seeing various horrible images of like people dying and stuff like that it's an interesting sequence in the book which I have read I've not read the A Song of Ice and Fire series but it's an interesting sequence Um, but yeah there's the prophecy Um, never sits on the Iron Throne goes through the wall which I always see as like you know John to me is the wall the Night's Watch he's representative of beyond the wall something like that and then she meets Drogo in the afterlife, like, which is slightly comforting, I think. Yeah. Um, moving on from that a little bit, um, Daenerys' speech about being a little girl, I think it's a bit corny, but... A little bit. Yeah, I
1: was a little girl who couldn't count to 20. Just the that she said it twice. Uh,
0: yeah, it's like, oh, see what we did there? We referenced something from the beginning of the speech to give you a sense <laughs> of closure.
1: From just over two minutes.
0: Yeah, um... But I think it makes sense that in when you have achieved your childhood dream, you would retreat to a childlike state. That yep. all of the time between when you first want the Iron Throne and then when you get it, I would imagine that everything between just collapses and vanishes mm. because you've always wanted it and the dream has never changed. And as much as you've developed as a person, the dream has never shifted. And so... All you, all the development you've made as a person. I love Amelia Clark's facial expressions in this. I'm bringing up the facial acting first this time. Yeah. where it's a mixture of naivety and being feeling deranged, but also kind of blissful. Like yeah. she's so high on the fact that she's won, and uh, it, she's feeling a little bit in this episode. I think that maybe the scene at the at the top of the steps is like. Taking King's Landing isn't enough. Mm. I've realised since I've been here that more people in Westeros need to see my way of the world.
1: Yeah,
0: I've, I've experienced the North and it was hostile, and I I need to sort that out. And so there's there's that. But just for that moment where she sees the Iron Throne, she forgets about that for a little bit. Um, yeah, the I was a little girl who couldn't count to twenty. It's a little bit like okay, like okay, fine, but. I think it communicates something, which is that in this moment, Daenerys has kind of lost sight of she has I think she's she does have that that there is an innocence to this scene with Daenerys, which I think that it just makes it all very heartbreaking when it actually when the the moment actually comes and John takes her life. Um and talking more about John in this scene, I don't know if you have any Notes about John in the scene because this is where, for me, this is where it all kind of culminates. My feelings about what they do with John uh, after his resurrection. This is where it all feels like it comes together. But you first.
1: Well, did you know straight away that it was John who had stabbed Daenerys? Uh, when I first watched it, yeah. Okay. Because, like,
0: this is what he's going to do. Like th- this, it feels like he just sort of has to do it. And yeah. yeah. So at the time, I was a little bit like. When they kissed, I was like, "Hmm, he's he's not falling under a spell again, has he?" But then there's that gap, mm-hmm. and then you hear the shunk that goes in. But yeah, what do you make of all the everything that John does in this scene, the way he behaves, and
1: well, yeah, he's sort of it's like because for the longest time you assumed John just kind of given up, like there wasn't much of him there anymore, and uh, he was just. He's running on He's like running on fumes. But it's like he's, you know, it's a double-edged sword of he's got that livelihood back, but now he realizes he has to do something awful in order to, you know, regain a sense of himself. And that's why he, you know he looks so like uncertain that until the very last moment. Even even when he does it, he's thinking, "Oh God, have I done the right thing here?" Yeah. Because well, how could you possibly know that what you're about to do is right for the world? Yeah. Yeah. A lot.
0: Um, I I love that this is where it all comes to. The Mm. Jon and Daenerys, star-crossed lovers, Song of Ice and Fire, destined to be together and save the world and save it from White Walkers and bring the dawn and all that shit with all the prophecies and stuff, which is just that this is where it ends. All of those grand prophecies and all of those things, all those theories that we all had and... John's big hero moment, in quotes, is him crying his eyes out, begging Daenerys to change her mind, eventually stabbing his lover to death, uncertain about whether he's even making the right choice. Yeah. And if that isn't a classic Game of Thrones subversion of a fantasy hero trope, then I really don't know what is. I think a, think a lot of people make fun of John's role in the final season and a lot of people who don't make fun of him but are angry with the fact that his role in the final season is diminished and this is what I was talking about a few weeks ago where a lot of people were angry that John's role in the last two seasons of the show is to be quite it's quite passive he's there while other people take control of the reins and he just kind of goes along with it and a lot of people were a bit like, oh, well, he, he never does anything. He just he just stands there. And in the final season, there's, like, there's all these people going, the, the, the meme that went round was that he only, had, he only knew how to say two things, which was that she is my queen and I don't want it. <laughs> and now, I don't want it. He says it three times across the whole season. She is my queen probably says it a few more times than that. But the one thing for me that people have missed out which is that the one thing he says more than anything is, and more importantly, we need allies. We need allies in this fight. We need allies. If you go back and watch, there's a a YouTube video of a supercut of all of his dialogue from season seven. And the first half of season seven is just, we need allies. We need allies. It's really, really funny. But I think people picked up on this more. And I want to go back to that Yez and IRL video, which is that I think people expected John this season to have a big masculine moment. Where he swung his sword, and I, I remember, I remember asking the official Game of Thrones subreddit and the John wins the throne subreddit mm. if you could rewrite John's ending, how would you do it? And so I gave him the option of keep everything the same, mm-hmm. um, kill the Night King and uh, die, okay, kill the Night King and ascend the Iron Throne, okay. You, can you can you can already tell what won, can't you? <laughs> yes, I can. yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think it's because they wanted him to have this big, the big hero moment was, I wanted it this big cathartic, satisfying like payoff for like mm. everything that he's suffered and everything. And it's like, it doesn't really, it hasn't ever really ever been like that for John. I think ever no. since John's come back, he's been dragged through most of the stuff that he wanted to do. And this yeah. is just another thing where, where Tyrion says, listen, you have to do this. You're the only person who can choose what happens next and you have to do it. And even while he's doing it, and I, d- I don't know if it's the right he does the right thing because when is murdering somebody ever the right thing? It may be the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's just the less wrong thing to do. Yeah. And it's a decision that he makes personally. And I think the way that he kills her is to kill somebody by stabbing it almost feels worse than like a crossbow from a distance or something because it's like you have to get right up close and it's quite an intimate murder yeah that's true. you yeah. have to be you know crimes of passion are often with knives
1: mm.
0: and so this isn't a crime of passion but it's it, those are the optics of it and a lot of people were really not happy with again this this shot of a man killing a woman and, like, a lot of people, like, punishing her for wanting to be a ruler and puni- the the show is punishing Cersei and Daenerys for wanting to be powerful and, like, how dare you kill my girl boss and... Oh, God. Yeah, so, and there was one that went round and it was, um, it, they said it was an example of intimate partner violence. Right. And now, this complaint came from the same people who were begging for Jamie to kill Cersei by strangling her to death with her unborn child inside of her. Yeah. Now can't. you either want intimate partner violence or you don't. Yeah, definitely. So, anyway, that's a personal grief out of the way. <laughs> I understand the optics of it, but the power dynamics in Jon and Daenerys' relationship have not been your typical male-female expected conventional power dynamics. They've always been different. Yeah, and it's always been imbalanced in Daenerys' favour in my opinion she's the one that's always had the more power the more influence, the more sway mm. that if anything ever went wrong she always had there weren't many buttons for Jon to press for things to tip things in his favour like Daenerys always had her finger hovering over the button that if Jon didn't do what she wanted she wasn't going to go and help him Yeah, and she could have done anything he, he was a prisoner on Dragonstone yeah, when he first true, yeah. went and met her. There's always been this slight imbalance. And so John's been very passive this season and he's done a lot of things that you would not associate with traditionally masculine central icons in fantasy stories. And I love characters like that, but John was never one. No. Um And yeah, I think with intimate partner violence, like, I mean... If you read it at a very base level, yeah, I get it. But if you step back a bit further and actually look at it, uh, no, I don't. I don't really see it. Yeah. And especially when you're begging for, oh, Jamie should have strangled Cersei. No, he shouldn't. <laughs> he absolutely shouldn't. That would have been horrible because his unborn child was inside of her.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like just going back to Jon a second, there's always been a kind of reluctance to his character. Like, mm. you know, you have to join the Night's Watch. It's the right thing to do. You have to be the commander of the Night's Watch. It's the right thing to do, even though he doesn't want it. Same with being, you know, king, king in the, the north, north and yeah. being brought back from the fucking dead. Like, he's never wanted any of this, but it's because he's got all these people in his ear mm. telling him it's the right thing to do. You have to do this. And, yes. you know, you from that you form a complex. So it's like, if, if all these people are telling me that I have to do this, then... Well, I have to do this. I don't really have a say in the matter. Yeah.
0: It's love or duty and Yeah. Yeah. But Amelia Clark again, the heartbreak and confusion in Daenerys' eyes when she realizes what's happened is devastating. Like Yeah. She realizes in that moment it's like, this is where the dream dies. Mm. Somebody that she thought that she loved and thought that she could trust betrays her. And from Daenerys, I mean, that's not what actually really happens, but from Daenerys's perspective, that is absolutely what happens, and I think, finally, in this scene, we are grounded in Daenerys' perspective of things. This, they don't get to choose. We, we realise that she slaughtered so many people because she thought that Cersei was using them as a weapon, mm-hmm. and, like, it's just, she's completely lost like, all the sort of, like, all the cognitive capacities that would give you the the ability to tell right from wrong and what's my vision and what should be you know yeah they pushing so far for your version of the greater good and then like you finally get to touch the iron throne and john is there and it's like she can she thinks oh we can forget everything that happened like we have the dream now we, we can break the wheel together we can be together it's ours yeah and in the end it all just it ends with a knife in her and yeah. It's, 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 it really is. It's horrible. It's it, it, the scene has a lot to deal with because Daenerys is very scary, but then the moment when the knife goes in, all the she becomes this very frightened little person, much like she was in season one. At the very at the very beginning, as well. Yeah, it feels like it's a complete reset. And John's like holding her, and the knife's like jutting out of her, and he's crying his eyes out, and she's crying her eyes out while like the blood is pouring out of her nose and mouth, and Oh, yeah. Um, but then we get onto the the next bit with mm-hmm. Drogon. Um, what's your interpretation of what Drogon does?
1: Well, I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see Drogon burn John. I, yeah, I don't know how like you feel about this. We'll obviously mm. come to it, but like I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering if John could survive fire the way Daenerys did when Drogon was born. Mm. And you know, it's it's been this question that I've. I expected it to come up at some point, and it never did.
0: Uh, well, it's because all the way back in season one, John did burn himself. Oh. Um, this was a theory for a long time that, like, it was like, is John fire resistant as well, or is it just Daenerys? Is it a Targaryen thing, <laughs> or is it, like, something that happened with Daenerys when the dragons were born? Was she made yeah. fireproof when that happened? And loads of people were sort of waiting for something like that to happen, like maybe John and the Night King would be battling with swords and then Daenerys would be like, we have to destroy the Night King and I may have to sacrifice John to do it.
1: Mm.
0: And then down comes the dragon fire and then Jon is left standing and the Night King isn't... You know, there were loads of people wondering how they could build it in. Yeah. And it turns out that, yeah, that time he burnt himself on the lamp in season one when he threw a a fire lamp at the White that woke up... Yeah, yeah. He burnt himself, and it turns out, yeah, he, he wasn't immune to fire. And so...
1: So it could yeah. be like you know Daenerys is a pure Targaryen kind of thing. I don't know. Is that is it, has that ever been explained? Well, the show and books
0: have got slightly different interpretations. Which is that in the books she becomes fireproof because of the blood magic that's present when the dragons are born.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Whereas in the show, it's like now she's just fireproof. Okay. So yeah, it's they they make they they do what they do quite a lot, which is just they simplify it and. For television audiences
1: Um, But yeah Just going back to this I would have been okay With this being Jon's final scene I think it would have been Quite striking To see the Two surviving Targaryens That we know of Killed in the same throne room Without ever being able To rule over The seven kingdoms And Yeah Yeah you could still Have the throne burning too Since the new king Has a throne made Exclusively for him
0: Yes, with yeah, wheels with it, on it. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's already sat down. Doesn't need to. Uh, doesn't need to be uh, built. Have have a, another chair built for him. But... Why
1: break the wheel when you can have two of them?
0: Exactly. Yes. Um, Drogon burning. Drogon burning the throne. Uh, okay. Right. So I like that the Iron Throne is basically the Ring of Power from Lord of the Rings. It has to be thrown into the fire and be destroyed. I get it. Um... <laughs> But I'm not sure whether Drogon means to burn the throne or not. And I really hope that they didn't, that that he didn't mean to, because I mean, I've always compared the dragons in this show to dogs, but like in like Drogon, I'm sorry, but like if, if if he really meant to burn the Iron Throne, it's like he sees that his mum's dead and it's like, he, does, he looks at Jon and it's like, wait a minute, you killed her the wheel is to blame. The systemic violence is to blame. This <laughs> dragon having this massive existential realization and going yeah <laughs> and vomiting all over the Iron Throne. It's like the real. Uh, unless I mean, a lot of people thought that he got confused and that he saw that the knife coming out of Daenerys was one of the knives of the on the, on the Iron Throne. But. um The script says that he wants... He he says Drogon wants to burn the world. It's like a cry of anguish, I thought. Which makes me think that it is an accident. Like, I don't think that Drogon has suddenly become intelligent enough to understand that systemic socio-political violence was ultimately what (laughs) killed Daenerys. It's a stretch, if that's the case. Um, But the script says that he wants to burn the world, or something to that effect, which says to me... That it is an accident that he, Drogon can't bring himself to kill Jon, yeah. so he just fires anywhere, and the iron Throne accidentally gets caught up in it, and it's a happy accident,
1: and I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, because and then he, he flies yeah. back to Westeros to do his philosophy major.
0: Yes, uh, well, yeah, wh- whatever he does. Um, <laughs> a lot of people thought like oh, he's going to take Daenerys back to Valyria and she's going to get resurrected. It's like nope.
2: mm-hmm. no,
0: no. <laughs> um, and the other thing, just before we leave the scene as well, like Danny being flown away to the east um, is gorgeous, and I think that's where yeah, episode one should end.
1: Yeah, because they fade to black. That's where I they, thought it they would. They
0: fade be. to black. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the other thing with John killing Daenerys is that he knows exactly where she's going, mm. and he has to still has to do it. And I, I find something quite hard about that. Like, yeah. He understands, he knows that there's nothing there. We think and can hope that she meets up with Drogo or Dario in the afterlife, or if Dario is dead. We would have no idea what's happening. Maybe maybe Dario died at some point during the events of season seven and we just never heard about it. Yeah. Who knows? Um, But with Drogo in the afterlife, where they can be in the nightlands and stay there together and stuff. But I think Jon knows the reality, which is just nothing.
1: Nothing.
2: Just black. Yeah. Emptiness. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story than Bran the Broken? The boy who fell from a high tower and lived. He knew he'd never walk again. So he learned to fly. He crossed beyond the wall. a crippled boy and became the three eyed Raven. He is our memory, the keeper of all our stories. The wars, weddings, births, massacres, famines, our triumphs, our defeats, our past. Who better to lead us into the future?
0: In part three, many weeks later, Tyrion is escorted to the Dragonpit where he sees the Lords and Ladies of Westeros' Great Houses assembled for a great council. He finds out that John has been imprisoned for regicide by the Unsullied, and when the situation appears to be growing tense with Yara and Grey Worm after justice for Daenerys, and Sansa and Arya demanding John's release, Davos and Tyrion defuse the situation. Tyrion suggests that they use this time to elect a new ruler who can decide John's fate, and after a short speech, Tyrion nominates Brandon Stark, arguing that having the three-eyed raven as king would break the wheel, as Daenerys once, shed, uh, once said she wanted to do. The other lords accept except for Sansa, who requests that the north remains an independent kingdom. Her request is granted, and Bran is crowned as lord of the six kingdoms of Westeros, with Tyrion named as Bran's Hand of the King. Um, This scene is fine. What do you make of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, okay, Tyrion's speech is good, sure, but like we said before, almost all of the tension of the previous scenes are just gone. And it's yeah. replaced by this, like, sullen awkwardness and some quite clunky dialogue. Like, Arya threatened to cut Yara's throat. Yeah, I don't like that at all. No, I hate it. I hate yeah. it. But, yeah, I get that Davos and most of us don't want another war, but, like, why would the Dothraki and the Unsullied be so willing to let go of King's Landing? Like, mm. couldn't they claim... ...that Daenerys was queen when she was murdered... ...because Jon is in prison for regicide, ...and therefore... Yeah. ...wouldn't they just be able to nominate a different person... ...to take up the Iron Throne?
0: Um, I think that's something that may have happened... ...if there were more seasons to go. Yeah. So. Um, because I think this is a problem with ending a story like this... ...which mm. is that... ...because of the way that George R. R. Martin writes... ...which is not necessarily writing a story from beginning to end... He's built a whole world with a living yeah. and breathing history and he's just chosen to focus on this particular part of it, mm-hmm. which means that you can't bring it to an end because the, the point, if you start midway through a story, which you kind of do with Game of Thrones, you start midway through all of these people's lives, you have to end it midway through people's lives and I don't know if that's emotionally satisfying to do it and so I think what we have to take from this scene is that Tyrion's speech was so good that Grey Worm just went, yeah, fuck it, I'm just going to go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of this shit.
0: Yeah, I think that is the point of this episode, which is that ultimately the characters in this scene, they do all kind of look at each other and go, I can't even be bothered. Like...
1: Yeah, it was just so exhausted. Yeah, I get out And it. I can
0: believe that Grey Worm would sort of do that because Grey Worm... It's, it sort of gets said that Grey Worm accepts it as like a compromise enough if John is banished as punishment beyond the wall. It's fine. Like, with the Dothraki, I kind of get why they would leave because, like, they have no personal beef here. Like, when, other than that guy who says your people can't fight in Season 7, we haven't had a vocal representative of the Dothraki for fucking ages. And so, like, they're just a hive mind who have all collectively decided to go back across the Narrow Sea to their homeland Mm -hmm. because they follow Daenerys. Daenerys is dead. They've done some raping and pillaging. They saw the North, got the T-shirt, and they're just going to go back home now. So I get that. But whereas with the Unsullied, Grey Worm is their vocal representative for how they all feel, apparently. And I think the majority of them would be like, yeah, I kind of want something done here. And so Grey Worm's like their leader. And Grey Worm's probably a bit like, you know what, I've lost somebody too. I always promised Sunday that we'd go to Narth. And so, yeah, this is where I think an episode break would have helped because not half an hour ago we were watching Grey Worm just slaughtering. Yeah. yeah I guess Daenerys dying probably changes the way that he's feeling. But, uh, yeah, it, I think it's that really. It's that... Grey Worm thinks, like, well, I lost my Sande here. Do I really want to stay? What is there to stay for? Tyrion gave a very convincing speech. Okay, fine, we'll go to Narth, whatever. Like, I think it's just, it's something that, it's the logic of the fact that the story is ending. Like, I think that's just where the logic comes from. It's like, yeah. we have to wrap this up somehow, and so we'll give a nice poetic ending to Grey Worm. And, and like, and when they were talking about going to Narth, in the second episode of the season i think everybody at that time is thinking well grey worm's gonna die then but no it turns out missandei is dead and grey worm's gonna go so (laughs) yeah yeah, you know i kind of like that they flip that but it's yeah it's one of those slightly corny things where they just kind of go "Uh,
1: this feels like it would be fine let's do this and so yeah yeah it's 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 fine I guess the end, like, I'm glad they shot down the suggestion of an election. Oh,
0: fuck me. I was so relieved when they started laughing when I watched that. I was like, no, (laughs) God, no, not democracy, please. You can't end it on this. Not after last week. You can't end on this super optimistic note where it's like, the world is better for everybody now. And it's like, no, God, no, no way. Because... Something I do like about this episode is that, as much as they tie up a few ends conveniently, there are some things left open mm. where it's like if there was to be a season nine, there are loads of things that I could easily see, like oh, yeah, thanks, just being thanks. upended, like um, Santa being crowned queen in the north.
1: What if another house in the north is like, hey, I, I didn't have a say in this, and I was just about to say as well. What if one of the other six kingdoms is like, hang on a minute, they got independence, they got we independence. Want independence, we want it
0: too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, what was it like when the Scottish independence referendum was happening? Catalonia was having one less than a year later. That's true. So like, it's always something that happens. Um, and you know, when Britain left the EU, there was a brief threat of lots of other countries wanting to do it. And they're like, oh my God, is this a dissolution of the union and all that stuff? And so, yeah, I could see that. Like, Drogon could easily fly back. He's not dead. Yeah, it's a domino effect. Um, but- a bunch of people in King's Landing could be like, well, I don't know who this Bronn guy is, so why the hell's he sat on the small council? And yeah, there's loads yeah. of little things. It's like there's this slightly uncertain edge to everything, which is just, is something that comes about afterwards where you sit and think and go hang on a minute, aren't Westeros technically a surveillance state right now? Yeah. Because Bran can see everything. And so, there's all these questions that come up afterwards, which I, I like, because it would have been so easy for them to be like, everything's wrapped up, everybody go home. Like, it, it's, it wraps up for some, but not for others. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, so the change in the weather and Tyrion's beard are all we have to work out how many weeks have gone by. Because I know they don't like doing, cap- they did captions in the first episode with Winterfell and King's Landing and Castle Black and stuff or or something like that but I wish they'd done like a four weeks later thing or a a clearer indication because a bunch of people when we're watching this all just like had a a week's break in between the episodes like we keep saying (laughs) like there were loads of people watching this episode at the time like Wait. So, is this the next day, or like the, the next week, or like is this a year later? Like, who knows when yeah. they are? So,
1: where's all the ash gone? Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. Where's the snow? Where's you know? Where where is all of this cloud? And yeah, I think it's about a month.
1: Yeah, that least, passes
0: in that least, black yeah. space. But um yeah, I'm really glad they don't go for Sam suggesting democracy. The way he gets left out of the room. Feels appropriate, reminds us that I don't think we're really supposed to like many of these people.
1: No, and we're right. also supposed to feel like. Well, a lot has changed, but in only in some ways.
0: They're still lords and ladies. Yeah. They're still the upper class who see people, the common people, as equivalent to dogs yeah. when it comes to their intelligence. So, yeah. Um, Tyrion's speech is a bit emmy friendly. It feels a bit like. This is the scene we're going to submit for consideration for the Emmys, but yeah. it makes sense. It works. Um, ultimately, the mistakes that these characters have made is the big mistake is that they've forgotten their own history in pursuit of something greater. This this pursuit of the greater good and Tyrion's like there is no greater good. Like we've all stories, they're really powerful and they bring us all together but we've been following the wrong stories, we've been yeah. listening to the wrong people, stories about what we all bought into, and I think this is Game of Thrones kind of taking a look at itself, where it's like, how did we get here? Where we have one major character responsible for a war crime, thousands of people around her pushing her and enabling the horrific events from the previous episode. Yeah, And so Tyrion's like, let's still, you know, we can't forget that humans are united by stories, but let's, talk about this guy instead yeah who has a better story than this guy and there was so much ableist nonsense after this episode um like Bran being selected as king feels a bit clean in the moment because it is a bit out of nowhere yeah like we haven't seen him for two episodes and it's like and who else could we better have as a king than this kid right here who wasn't even in season five.
1: <laughs> but it makes sense. Like, as I said... The, well, the, in that sense, it's a bit like yeah. um, what's-his-face standing up and saying, maybe I should be king. Edmure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah Edmure. it is
0: a little bit that way. I mean, Bran's been in it a little bit and a lot of people were like, "I can Bran was saying I can never be lord of anything. Well, then why could he be lord of the six kingdoms? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not that he can't be lord of anything, it's that he doesn't want to be lord of anything. And yes. that is what the show is arguing right now, which is that a desire to rule makes you unfit to do so. Yes. So why not give it to the person who doesn't want it? Genius. Takes it on as a sense of duty. Yeah. It's perfect. It just... He does it because he has to. Why do you think I came all this way? Like, because he kind of felt like... he did, as, as he said before... He can't see the future, but he can piece together fragments Mm. and he can see himself feeling like he might need to take on a great responsibility at some stage. Yeah. And this is the great responsibility. And I like the fact that the two people running the country at the end are a guy in a wheelchair and a dwarf.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: The show has always... What is it, it, it? It's been... The show has always been sympathetic towards cripples, bastards and broken things. That's the show's whole mantra. Paying attention to the little guy while the story focuses so much on the the big guys. But it always lends a bit of an ear to the little guys who want a voice. And the, the people who maybe don't get listened to in quite a lot of TV shows and dramas and stuff. It's always focused on the people who are less than in the eyes of everybody else. And...
1: Yeah, but yeah, that was small council followed them at the end.
0: Uh, yeah, I think in oh, I in, in the end the story has broken them so much that by default of reaching the end, you're only going to have broken people by the end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, there were lots of mean-spirited and quite dismissive responses to this "who has a better story" thing. It's not mm. meant to be taken at face value as a literal like <laughs> Bran has the best story of anybody in the show. That's not what it means because there are portions of Bran's story especially like when they're walking to the wall where it's like okay is something going to happen this week like you know like especially around the middle of season 3 where it's just like and we're going to nudge them on ever so slightly they have to give him a fake story a made up story in season 4 when they get captured by the Night's Watch because there's just nothing going on they have to put him into a story that didn't even exist but the point is that he remembers everybody else's stories, and so he's probably the best chance they've got of right, remembering yeah. not to make the same mistakes again. It doesn't mean that they won't. It's like in episode two of this season where it was like, the crypt is the safest place. Didn't mean it was a safe place. No. It's just the safest place. And so this who has a better story, is, is it means something larger. And so loads of people were like, well, John has a better story. Daenerys has a better story. They all have the better story, because John did this and he did that and it's like, no, 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 not what they it mean. So like Bran just got dragged everywhere and that was it and he hasn't done anything and he's boring and he's weird and... I, I do think that there is an element of tragedy that they're searching for in this episode and that they've searched for with Bran, this boy who lost his identity to become the Three-Eyed Raven, but because he became a bit of a meme, I think it kind of disappeared. Yeah. He, he became a little bit of a comic relief character. This is the fact that he was so awkward with yeah, people, yeah. and so I feel like there's something lost there, unfortunately, that this this kid who lost himself taking on this great duty because of his magical powers, um, it is something that does kind of get lost, unfortunately. Um, but it makes sense that he would be king. I think that if if you have a guy that can see everything... <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. if you have a god
0: in your midst then make him king like which again that has other strange thoughts to it like is that it like are you saying is the message we take away from this show that humans can't govern themselves that they need a a greater presence to control them I don't know if that's what they're saying I think that it's just like but I can see how like they leave themselves open to that interpretation with something like this um yeah, I think it the tone should be a bit darker. Yeah. But it, it, it feels like it's you get the big celebratory Stark theme and all hail brand the broken and stuff like that. It's all a bit yeah.
1: It's like they get they edge close to that kind of, you know, everything's just going to go back to everyone squabbling all the time at the beginning and then they just sort yeah. of do away with that. Um I would just like to take a moment to appreciate Robin Arryn.
0: Yes, I think um, a- yeah. appreciating Robin Arryn in his fine form, oh, yes. well, the way that he appears in this episode, yeah, yeah that, is a, that is a glow up.
1: He's aged like a fine wind. He's grown from this horrible little urchin with a beetles haircut to the most handsome man in Westeros all of a sudden. Yeah, and he seems vaguely
0: normal as well. Yeah, like the, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, just the fact that his strange upbringing has, it seems like free of the shackles of Littlefinger and Lysa Arryn yeah, he he's... seems to have done all right for himself. Uh, yeah, well so, done, Jon Roy. you be yeah.
1: a, a suave young gentleman. <laughs> yeah,
0: fair, fair play to Robin there. Um, I honestly get a little bit teary-eyed when Santa asks for an independent North because that was uh, this show has always been really good at bringing ghosts back to life, and that was what Rob Stark wanted. That's true. And it's what the North has always wanted, and that feels that feels good to me. And like the show needs to have something different at the end of it. Like, what is the lasting impact of all the events that we've seen in this show? And it's that the North is an independent kingdom and it's now the Six Kingdoms. That's a permanent change that the show has left in. Um, It's kind of like spoilers. It's not really spoilers for BoJack Horseman, but... In the sixth episode of Bojack Horseman, somebody steals the D from the Hollywood sign. Oh yeah, yeah. And they they call it Hollywoo throughout the rest of the show. Yeah, like because the people can't be bothered to find out where the D went, and they can't be bothered to put it back, and so they just they they all buy into this collective thing where it's like, oh, we're just we're just Hollywoo now. And then at the end of the show, somebody puts a B in the place of the D, and they start calling it Hollywoob. <laughs> 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 um, but it's it feels kind of similar to that um, there is a scene that was written in the script for this part of the episode or just afterwards that I wish they'd left in that they actually cut out and it's of a beetle crawling right. over Bran's hand Yeah, and he just watches it and lets it walk away and after everything we discussed last week yeah. I'm like when I read that in the script and when I read that that was originally in the script, I was like, no, why didn't you leave that in? That would have been... genius. Yeah. Because it's just this huge callback to like four seasons ago and it explains everything about the decision they made. Exactly. To have Bran be king. It's like he doesn't have the urge to smash. No. Like, it's, it's beautiful. It's great. It's such a lovely little poetic image and I wish they left it in. I don't know if they ran out of money and couldn't do a CGI beetle or Isaac Hempstead Wright wouldn't let a little cockroach crawl over his hand or something. Mm. But I, I really wish they'd left that in. That I know. I understand that they have to, you know, you have to kill your darlings. But, like, that would have been a really good, like, to help people understand a little bit more, to make them question the decision a bit less, yeah. to make it feel less like it had come out of nowhere. And... I get people not being totally keen on Bran being king because he's not been in the story that much and it doesn't feel that satisfying to just have it handed to someone who's not been in the last two or three episodes. It doesn't feel like they built to that moment necessarily. Mm-hmm. I would argue that they did because right back in season one, you get all these shots of Maester Lewin telling Bran about all the kingdoms and all the houses and all the families and there's little things like that. And I think you know if you send somebody beyond the wall and make him this magical, the one magical being left in Westeros, then, yeah, why not make him king at the end? It makes sense. The build-up was a bit up and down for me, but I think the conclusion that they get to, it makes sense. I agree. Um... I get why people weren't entirely happy with it, but my sympathies end when they start getting all like, oh, well, he's not, you know, I mean, they don't say it out loud, but, like, there is a bit of a...
1: You know what they're implying. Yeah,
0: there is a bit of a, a bafflement that someone in a wheelchair would ever rule anything. But um, on we go.
1: <laughs> Even though we've already seen it in Dawn. So
2: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You shall take no wife, hold no lands. Father, no children. The Unsullied wanted your head, of course. But Grey has accepted the justice of a life sentence. Sansa and Arya wanted you freed. But they understand our new king needs to make peace. No one is very happy. Which means it's a good compromise, I suppose. Was it right? Well, I did... What we did It doesn't feel right. Ask me again in ten years.
0: Shortly afterwards, Tyrion visits John in his cell. Tyrion informs John that his sentence for killing Daenerys is banishment to the night's watch. John questions whether what he did to Daenerys was the right choice, and Tyrion implies that he, he doesn't know. John is then shown leaving King's Landing, and he bids farewell to Sansa, Bran and Arya, and Arya reveals that she plans to head west of Westeros to where the maps stop. Grey Worm takes the Unsullied to Narth, while the Dothraki are shown to be preparing to leave Westeros as well. With the reconstruction of the Red Keep underway, Brienne writes down Jaime Lannister's deeds in the Annals of the Kingsguard, and she then joins a small council meeting where Tyrion, Bronn, Davos and Samwell Tarly begin to plan the future of the city. Bran arrived at the small council and informs them that he will continue searching for Drogon. So we'll start with um, Jon being sent back to the Night's Watch. Yeah. How's that?
1: Well, I'll always remember that thing you said about a change of haircut signifying a change in character. And <laughs> now I can't unnotice it whenever I see it in other shows, like we saw it in Succession last year. Hmm. And, yeah, here we have John back to his original Night's Watch crop. And it's, it's as if killing Daenerys was, like, another rebirth for him. It's, yeah. It's not another chance as such, but it, it's kind of... To find his livelihood, he had to do something something he didn't want to do and live with the consequences. But, um, yeah, I don't really have much to add to this that I haven't already said about um, John and Daenerys. Hmm.
0: Well, I just I personally just love the fact that the everybody, the person that everybody who thought was the prince that was promised, he finishes the story in exile. Yeah, it's like thing, he's but... disgraced. It's kind of like if um, it's actually to reference Gretchen Felker Martin that we've had on this show before in the piece that she wrote. She was like, imagine if Aragorn finished Lord of the Rings banished to the empty lands of Mordor. For like, it, it's it feels like it's taking somebody with that role in the story and giving them a bit of a, a bit of a punishment of an ending. It, it's it's a strange ending for John, I think, um, where he ends up because a lot of people are like, "Well, they got away with it," because he's gonna go and be happy beyond the wall. And I would argue, mm. no. I've got a bit more in the epilogue, but um, because he has to live with what he's done. When he says that he doesn't know whether he's done the right thing or not, it breaks my heart because. Yeah. It's yet another character who has had to make a difficult decision and afterwards he sat there and he's ruminated on it for weeks and he's like I don't actually know if I did the right thing. I killed somebody I loved because they lost sense of themselves and I am I going to be punished for this? Like he knows that it all means nothing as well. Like yeah. all of everything that's happening, he knows where he's going and To have that knowledge of knowing that you're going nowhere when you die, and to keep living after that, and then to live with this pain of like not knowing whether you've ever, you're not really knowing whether you've ever done the right, not knowing whether you've done the right thing, and then the the one person who might know in ten years sort of says, "I don't think we're ever going to see each other again." And uh, yeah, so it's this uncertain question, this difficult question that gets left hanging over. Hanging over Jon's head. Um, A lot of people at the time were saying like, why is there still a Night's Watch if the White Walkers are dead? And to which I say, well, at the beginning of the story, they all thought the White Walkers had been dead for 10,000 years and they still had a Night's Watch. Yep. So, of course there's still a Night's Watch. We knew when we got... We we found out when we got there in season one that it wasn't this honourable order of gentlemen who honourably defended the realm from all that lay beyond. It was a freezing prison for rapists and murderers. Yeah.
1: Servitude, yeah.
0: Yeah. Tyrion says like we the world will always need a home for people like you, so mm. that's where we're sending you. It's punishment and it's kind of like like you get a chance to sort of leave the politics behind. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying like, oh well John being a Targaryen didn't mean anything and it's like, well, actually it led to the climactic event of the series when Daenerys torched about a hundred thousand people to death so yep. uh, yeah if John's not Aegon a Targaryen then nothing really happens in the way that it happens does it and going back to the Night's Watch it means that he, he can forget he doesn't have a name he just goes back to being whoever he is Jon Snow Aegon yeah. Targaryen like whoever he thinks he wants to be and like he's forsaken you know you, you, you forsake everything that you've done when you join the Night's Watch and you dismiss it all and you can leave it behind and I think that's probably best for John because the world of politics has never really worked for him and ever since he's been dragged back from death it feels like he's been dragged through the politics of the world of Westeros and he's like yep seen enough yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm done I'm leaving yeah. I'm I'm uh, yeah, putting putting
1: it behind me and walking away Um I mean even if you know there's nothing you've at least left a mark on history yeah And
0: now he can walk away from that mark because that mark didn't really lead to anything good. No. So, um, we talked about it before. Uh, It's appropriate, I think ish, that Grey Worm goes to Narth. Um, Bit late for everyone in King's Landing, but uh, Grey Worm finally understands that it's better to just leave it. Just go off somewhere. Like, stop killing. Like, you were raised to kill. Go and be a person now. Like, just, yeah, fine. I I get it. Uh, it's a little bit convenient but when he says we're going to go to North, it's like ah
1: okay yeah it's like he's realising that this is a healthy way to deal with pain and grieving
0: yeah wander away from it
1: revenge yeah
0: yeah well in the end I think that is something that the show also communicates to us across its long run which is that revenge is not healthy no Um, revenge is why we end up where, it's why we ended up where we ended up last week,
1: yeah. Because exactly. Daenerys
0: wanted an ultimate revenge on somebody because she felt like victory wasn't enough. It was vengeance that drove it, and so there were lots of characters in this episode who just caught, who just sort of go, they do what Arya did last week, they just wander away.
1: Yeah.
0: Speaking yeah. of Arya, um, I when John's saying goodbye to the Starks, what notes have you got?
1: Yeah. um Were there any theories at the time of where West of Westeros is?
0: No. A lot of people were kind of laughing that she would just end up at the other side of Essos. (laughs) I was thinking, Um, yeah. But uh, not no real theories. No, I think, thankfully, a lot of people just sort of went with that and went like, okay, we're not supposed to know where she's going. Mm. So, I mean, there were a lot of people who were begging for that Sequel series. I'm just like,
1: no, please, don't no. touch please, it, leave no. it alone. No. I'll talk about
0: it in a second, but yeah, leave it alone. But
1: yeah, I've got yeah. some more in the epilogue about their separate endings. So. Yeah, um, I find it in my there's an
0: interesting wrinkle I think from this scene, which is that Sansa sort of asks John for forgiveness and he doesn't say that he accepts, he just sort That's of true. says, Ned Stark's daughter will do fine, and Shit. uh. I think he kind of forgives her for everything that's happened, but not really.
1: Without saying it and yeah. if you're never gonna see him again. It's one of those unanswered questions that'll just linger mm. for the rest of the time.
0: Um I basically just start tearing up from this point on, um, when I watch it on my own. So, um Brienne filling out the white book Mm. Uh, for Jamie, um, I think, well, you're supposed to think all the way back to season four when Joffrey was teasing Jamie about all the things he hadn't done. Um, Brienne writes that he died defending his queen, which must have been very hard for her to write. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were laughing at the time saying that she wrote in the book and then just shut the page. It's like, oh, the ink! I was say, the yeah. ink! Yeah, 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 go ahead. She just
1: yeah. slams it shut. <laughs> it's as if... It's like she has a moment of pause there, where she's she's realised that oh god, I'm I'm crushing on this man that I can't have. Just smush it together, pretend it didn't happen, and <laughs> deal with it later. But yeah. no, it is sweet. It is it's you know a recognition of like we discussed in you know episode it was episode four of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There is something more to their relationship than just I don't know. They were on the road for a bit together. There, yeah. There is genuine affection there and Brienne especially saw something in Jamie that nobody else really did.
0: Yeah, and she gets to write and she gets to fill these pages in and I think that, you know, as much as it would have been appropriate for, to, for her to die in the long night, it feels appropriate that she ends up here. Yeah, I agree. And you know, all this stuff about the women of Westeros being short-changed and it's like Brienne finishes the show as head of the king's guard.
1: Yeah. It's a pretty big upgrade. And
0: Sansa ends the show as Queen in the North, and yep. Arya ends the show having killed the Night King, and like, just because Daenerys and Cersei's pursuit of power led to their deaths does not mean that all of the female characters were shortchanged. Yeah, it just means the <laughs> Iron the Throne show. is a bit
1: of a poison chalice, and, and it always was.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people thought that it was unfeminist of Brienne to cry, so, you know, Don't that's forget. what we're dealing with here. Um, the, <laughs> the small council scene oh boy Um, I kind of like that everything just sort of carries on the day to day continues things will be fine for now you know Bron and Davos will do their banter but something will happen in the end that will shake up the order of what's been established in the last episode or so but I know you're not that keen on it, really.
1: No, I don't really like it. As, you know, I mentioned before that last day of school feeling. It's like all the teachers have decided to like band together to put on a funny little show for the rest of the kids at the yeah. end of the term, who are just sitting on their hands and wondering when they can go home and have some actual fun. But I don't know. I've never really been a massive fan of the comedy vickering in this show. You know, I've never yeah, liked yeah. you know, Varys and Tyrion and their... Their jokes. Yes, their, yeah, yeah. their banter. And it's the last ever episode. It's like five minutes before the end, and it doesn't really feel like the place for it. Yeah, I get. I know you. You say that it. Do, it's that suggestion that everything will just continue as normal, and who knows? Maybe these people will all grow to hate each other yeah. in a couple of months. I'm sure they will. Hmm. But oh, I don't know. There's just something about this whole scene. Like I would have been fine with them all just sort of coming in, and then like Sirius says. Shall we begin? And yeah, then, yeah, and that's then, where you yeah. to wait. I don't need all this shit about honeycombs and. Oh uh, yeah, they
0: try to get that joke in again, don't so, they? Oh, before gosh. the end,
1: don't need it. Um, there are a
0: couple of little touches that I think is super corny, but I actually really like. Um, the the book being called The Song of Ice and Fire, is yeah. is Sorry. it's really corny, but I think you know the guy who birthed it all. I think it's their way of paying tribute to him, to George R. R. Martin, saying. Thank you for basically giving us our careers with this amazing story that you wrote. Yeah. Here you go. It's fine. Um, I mean, in season seven, when Jim Broadbent first mentioned what the title was going to be for the book, you know, the events following the death of King Robert or something like that. Sam was like, "Ah, I think it could be a bit more poetic than that. Everyone was like, oh, God, they're going to call it the Song of Ice and Fire. And there you go. Um, Tyrion not being mentioned is curious. Yeah, I do think that's a point of contention that I agree with that he would be mentioned. Unless I mean it depends how far the book goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the book ends. If it ends at the red wedding, I don't think he would be mentioned. But
1: if but it he was still hand of the king. Yeah,
0: and if it goes to Joffrey, he was accused of Joffrey's murder and then he escaped.
1: Yeah. And so
0: you would bring that up I think, but I think it ends at the Red Wedding because that's where a lot of people consider the events after the death of King Robert to kind of end. Everything that happens after that in season four is kind of tying up loose ends. The War of the Five Kings kind of semi-officially ends with the Red Wedding. Yeah. Because um, Renly's gone by that point. Baylor is off the map. Yep. Rob Stark is dead. It's only Stannis and Joffrey left. But by that point, Stannis has been defeated at the Blackwater. It's... Yep. It's all. So I get why Tyrion maybe wouldn't be mentioned, but he was still Hand of the King, and so. I think it's one of those jokes where it's kind of like Tyrion has an opinion of himself that he tries not to let become too strong. He clearly has a high opinion of himself, and
1: mm.
0: I think it's a little more fun being poked at Tyrion.
1: It, but, and also, man. it might not necessarily be true. He might just be sort of gently ribbing. Yeah, you, it's a I, bit I know that near. It's not really in Sam's nature, yeah. but you never know.
0: Um, I like that Bron is on the council in a weird way, because as much as I dislike that he's on the council, I think that's kind of the point, which is that he is a guy who played a section of the Game of Thrones and won. Yeah, he didn't really do anything No, he just kind of did jobs for people and exploited those favours that people owed him to get himself a future and so yeah he played the game and he won and he's happy now and so yeah. I still would have preferred it if he'd have died in the spoils of war, made that episode feel even more costly than it does already mm-hmm. and I don't think he's done anything that justifies him being around anymore no. really, that couldn't have been achieved elsewhere. But that's that—that's a minor nit, really. I think, you know, him and Tyrion's friendship was kind of always based on money, so... Yeah. It makes the point, maybe, but I could give or take it. But I, I kind of like it, so I, I do I do like that. Um, Podrick getting his walk-on moment.
1: Yeah, just grinning away. Yeah, again, Hello,
0: someone <laughs> else who could have just died in the long night, and yeah. hasn't been in any episode since really so but you know he gets his little moment he's the guy who's going to push Ban around fine whatever like but brienne could also do that so eh. but you know he gets his little moment where there's even like 10 seconds of silence afterwards because you can tell that they've programmed it so that people in living rooms and pubs and wherever around the world can go when brienne says sir podrick everyone could go So, um, it's fine, whatever. I don't dislike Podrick, so...
1: No, it's fine. He gets
0: his moment. At Winterfell, Sansa is crowned as the first queen in the north. At sea, Aya and her crew sail towards parts unknown. And at Castle Black, Jon arrives and reunites with Tormund and Ghost. Jon and Tormund then lead the wildlings back beyond the wall. Jon turns to face Castle Black as the gates shut and rides on. And with the snow and ice beyond the wall finally melting, a small blade of grass emerges, indicating that spring is returning to Westeros once again. And that's the last one of those I'll ever do on this show. Wow. Where I just read what's happened so that we can remind ourselves before we get to our notes. Um, so we'll talk about Sansa first.
1: Okay. Um,
0: being crowned.
1: Well, just as an overarching theme, I would say it's not a particularly happy ending for the Stark kids overall, I don't think.
0: No, it feels a little bit like they got away with it. Mm, they, yeah. they, but they, in the sense that they got away with their lives and that's about it
1: yeah they've all got they're all well Well, now they're all isolated in different parts of the world with similar doubts hanging over their heads for the rest of the time yeah. like okay Sansa arguably the happiest in that she she managed to win independence for the north and is being celebrated as the newly crowned queen in the north yeah. not a bad thing but there's questions that come out of this like how does she Feel about being isolated from her family again like how likely is it that she'll be dragged into a conflict by the next I don't know Robert Baratheon or Daenerys yeah. or Joffrey or anybody else who wants to claim the north as well as the other six kingdoms and like as we've seen from the past seasons being king in the north has been a bit of a poison chalice it's a title that creates more problems than it solves so like how do we know that Sansa being queen in the north is going to be any different
0: yeah, I think she gets the cleanest and most conventional ending until the cameras stop, but then after the cameras stop, yeah, what happens? Yeah. Like, I mean, to be fair, this is where the whole thing came from, where it's like, at the end of, uh, I mean, I'm doing loads of spoilers for Lord of the Rings here, but like, at the end of Lord of the Rings, Aragorn is like the secret king and he's crowned and everybody lived happily ever after. Yeah. And George R. R. Martin said, I loved Lord of the Rings as a kid, but when the book finished, I was like, what did Aragorn do? Like, what was his tax policy? And like, (laughs) what did he do with like, because in the, in the films, they take care of it where it's like all the land that evil stands on collapses and all the orcs and stuff, they just die. Okay. And so, whereas in the books, all the orcs are forced to run away into the mountains.
1: Hmm.
0: And so he was like, and what did they do with the orcs? Like, what did he do? Like, did he go after them? Did he kill them all? Did he oversee a period of genocide? Like, And so when he started asking these questions, he was like, oh, I could write a book about this. And so Mm. you're left with the similar question that George R. R. Martin would want you to be asking yourself right now, which is like, when everything's settled and Sansa's crowned as queen in the north,
1: what does she do? And she's got a lot more responsibility over a lot more people now. Yeah, and
0: as you say, no family. Like, she doesn't smile. She just takes it on.
1: Yeah, she accepts it. But yeah, it doesn't seem particularly joyful. No. And like you say, what's she gonna do? Is she gonna privatise the rails or I don't know, what, yeah. what's her policy on I don't know, cohabiting like yeah. a lot of questions that don't get answered by just becoming queen. Hmm.
0: Yeah, th- there is a future after this and It might be more peaceful than before, but who knows? Um Our exactly. ending is my favourite. In the show. I think of all the characters, I think is ending is the one that is just... It, 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 it's the best, I think. It's why I'm so personally bothered by the prospect of there ever being an Aya sequel. Yeah, please If no. they answer this question about what's west of Westeros, no. I will flip several tables over. No, please no. Um, I mean, to be fair, what I actually... They, they can do all they want, as far as I'm concerned. If they make another show, I'm just going to ignore it. Because well, yeah. the Fun. end... is yeah. end in Game of Thrones is heartbreaking. It is. It yeah. is devastating, which is that she is so, so broken.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She Through season seven and season eight, she's had all these little opportunities to heal and get better. And then when she thinks that she's healed and gotten better, she realises that the void is still there... Whatever void it was that was open... And what the void is, is grief. And the trauma. Friend, yeah. She's yeah. never, ever gotten over the fact that she'd lost both of her parents before she was 13. Yeah. And not only did she lose them, but they were brutally murdered. And mm-hmm. she was basically witness to all of it. Yeah. She saw her own brother's head chopped off and have his direwolf's head mounted on top of it. The amount of Starks that she has seen die turned her into a person who worshipped death for two seasons and then realised, no, I need to come back to myself. And then she was a little vengeance robot who thought that wiping out all the families that had wronged her and all the people that had wronged her would make her feel better. And it didn't. It just, the void was still there. She killed the Night King. She thought that the void would be healed dead and it's still there. And then she went all the way down to King's Landing and she was finally told... Vengeance isn't the way. You need to find another way to heal. And now she has the prospect of going home. The 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 thirst for vengeance is gone. But, like, she saved the world... Yeah. ...only to have it all collapse on top of her. She saved those people from a death by ice... ...only to save them up to a death by fire. Like, and after all of this... ...she realises that if she stays in Westeros... ...the void will never be filled. And so, rather than stay in Westeros, go back to Winterfell roam the countryside, rather than have her fate secured by staying in Westeros she chooses complete oblivion she has yeah. no idea whether she's going to be sailing to a new land or sailing off the edge of, an, of the earth hmm. yeah. she, she doesn't have a clue She nobody knows where she's going and so she may as well be dying because when you die you have no idea where you're going to go And when you sail west of Westeros, you have no idea where you're going to go. And if they ever do a spin-off, I'll be like, well, it won't be David Benioff and Dan Weiss who do it. And so as far as I'm concerned, the official ending for Arya in Game of Thrones is that she chooses total... the potential of nothingness over ever staying. Yeah. Because she knows that she can't heal. Mm. And... For the way that they slightly mishandled Arya's story towards the end of season six and towards the end of season seven, they have more than made up for it this season. I think they've handled her perfectly from beginning to end this season. And she's my season MVP. um, And the way that her story ends is just... It's it's horrible. But that's exactly the point.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could perhaps say that she found at least some comfort in being no one which isn't possible in Westeros because she's known for being the person who saved humanity and you know if that's the case maybe she realises that the only place for no one is nowhere
0: yeah it's yeah that's a really really beautiful way to put it it's just that yeah I can't add anything to that it's yeah um and then we finally come to Castle Black Uh, Mm -hmm. We haven't seen Castle Black for twelve episodes, and we haven't seen its insides for eighteen episodes. Yeah, last time we were there was when Ed brought Brown through the wall. Yeah, Uh, John finally pets the dog. And (laughs) yay, yay! Yeah, we all really wanted that. Um, Yeah, I think like you know this whole thing being built around a montage. Like in the end, the starts with the centre of the show. Winterfell was home, Mm -hmm. and so it feels appropriate that that's where the show ends. A lot of people who were like, oh, the show hates Targaryens and loves Starks and like, what about all the things that John did wrong and we never saw them as a sign of tyranny and it's like, that's because John didn't burn the city down. Yep. If John had burned the city down then you would look back at him hanging the mutineers and all of that. Like, maybe you would look back at it and go, well, hang on a minute, but he never enjoyed it and he didn't feel good and that's why, that's why it's different. So yeah, he pets the dog and he goes out beyond the wall. Um, what conclusions have you got about where John goes.
1: I mean, you start to wonder if John will ever return to Castle Black after, you know, leaving with the Wildlings. And if so, who will be there to rebuild the Night's Watch? What will be its purpose? If it continues to exist in the state we've known it as, it's feasible to expect that they'll soon be taking advantage of the Wildlings again. Yeah. Especially, you know, as Spring appears to have arrived and the Threat Beyond the Wall appears to be dealt with for now. They're going to be mm. looking for things to do, and I'm sure that the wildlings won't come out on the winning end of that. Let's mm. say, so either John leaves to live with the wildlings and inevitably becomes an enemy of the Watch, or he goes back to Castle Black to live out his his sentence and presumably lose all sense of himself, like Sir Arthur Thorne did. You just become someone who's like part of the scenery, and you're just so defeated by it that like all you have is. To be a misanthrope and yeah, neither option seems particularly appealing,
0: yeah, I think that John going out beyond the wall i it, it's always been hard for me to tell if this is John permanently going out beyond the wall or if he's just dropping the wild things off somewhere and then heading back mm, yeah um, but it it doesn't feel you can see in his face that he hasn't healed like there's peace no. there, but it's incomplete it's there's pieces of the jigsaw missing and the grass growing out of the snow you know the lands are thawing it might be more fertile implies that there is a spring coming literally and also a bit more metaphorically for John maybe there's something better coming but we'll just never see it
1: yeah exactly like,
0: it's it's left like you know yeah okay he can go and hang out with ghost and he can do whatever he wants with Torment. but then what yeah like where's the purpose after that and yeah. um, so yeah there's always going to be something for them to do I think that there are a lot of, of uneasy question marks that hang over the edge of the story about what awaits them all John Sansa, Aya, everybody really and we'll just never we'll just never know
1: Yeah.
0: and I like the fact that we'll never know I don't
1: no, want I, it to we'll be a decisive
0: it. ending I think it's about making sure that the emotional cadence is right because you can't really give it a proper plot cadence. You can't really make it feel like, yes, the story can go no further from here because
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is the antithesis of what George R. R. Martin has tried to do with the books, which, is, as I said before, George R. R. Martin is not currently writing from beginning to end. He's writing about a period of history in an entire world that he's built. He just yep. hasn't told the future yet. And I think the struggle that he's actually having is trying to get those things because it's taken him 11 years to produce the next book and I think it's because you can't really end the story of The Song of Earth and Fire without doing what Game of Thrones did which was cutting corners and excising whole houses and focusing on a very narrow group of people
1: Mm.
0: and that's not really George R. R. Martin's style. His style is constant development and expansion and nudging things here and there, and it's all very cause and effect. And I think that's why he's having trouble, which is that trying to bring all of these characters... Because imagine if you had ended Game of Thrones at season four with all of those characters in really separate locations, so many of them still alive, so many of their fate's still uncertain. At least with Game of Thrones, a lot of characters' fates are certain. And the ones that aren't left with certain fates they are at least you can kind of it, it, you can leave it up to the imagination and be fine with it you have the emotional resolution and I think that's kind of what you're struggling with um, which is why I forgive the last half of Game of Thrones rather a lot because like bringing this story to a close like it is so big and there are so many strands to it that Bringing it to any kind of close that makes sense is a huge feat because there are yeah, so many absolutely. moving parts to this. Yeah, um, I don't know if you have any further notes about John or just the start montage in general.
1: Oh, no, um, I, th- I mean, I suppose you could, like you say, we could talk about Bran as well, where we, you know, it's not not entirely clear how he will be received in King's Landing, and we've we yeah. already kind of covered it, but yeah. As you rightly said, after we watched this episode, how do the people of the Six Kingdoms feel about the prospect of essentially living in a surveillance state? Yeah. You know, is this something that he's foreseen that we obviously haven't? Or does he know something that, you know, could change the course of history in a way that wasn't intended? Like, it's good to have these unanswered questions. Yeah. That's good, because it, it... like we've always said, it's okay to leave things to the the audience's imagination. You know, give them some credit. But, yeah. Oh, God.
0: Yeah, there are questions, so, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's peaceful at the end, but it's uneasy, and I I like that. So yeah. I think that's a decent place to leave it. It's not total nihilism, and it's not total optimism. It's just kind of another day.
1: Yeah, the story and, continues, but you just don't see it.
0: Yeah. Okay, so... God, we have nothing more to say about Game of Thrones that's going to be recorded. Because any, anything we talk about in the next episode, which will be the season award show, and mm-hmm. then the week after that, the series review, yeah. where we'll talk about the whole series, and we'll talk about our favourite moments and episodes, and we'll rank every episode and stuff like that. It will all be about stuff we've already seen, so there'll be nothing new to say. So... Yeah, that's it. So, for one final time, uh, what is your line of the episode?
1: Actually, I couldn't decide between two Tyrion one-liners. First, you said before, is ask me again in ten years. But there was also, no one is very happy, which means it's a good compromise, I suppose.
0: Yeah. (laughs) A good compromise, I suppose. Yes, that's... uh, I feel like that's the end philosophy. Yeah. Right there. Um... And for the final time, who is your loser this week?
1: Uh, really difficult to pick one, but just for all time's sake, it's got to be a Daenerys. I'm yeah,
0: afraid. yeah. Yeah, she, uh, well, whoever she is in this episode, it's
1: It's not the Daenerys we knew.
0: No, uh, she has changed and so yeah, she goes in the loser column, unfortunately. I think just because there are so few characters this season like it means that you've got such a small number to focus on and when Daenerys has sure. done the bad thing, like, she's just gonna <laughs> clear the vote out, I think. Yeah, um, pretty much. And for the final time, who is your winner of the week?
1: My winner of the week is actually going to be Tyrion this week. Okay, uh, yeah, any reason why? Um, well, he yeah, had the bulk of this week's dialogue. He had a lot of time yeah. to um, eulogise, let's say, and yeah, he does a solid job of it wow, that's the
0: first time you've had him as the winner since his trial. Oh, season four. Yeah. Jesus, I thought it was Um, later than that. There's some people right now who are listening who who don't like the second half of the show as much as the first half of the show, and they'll be sitting there thinking, well, that's my point proven, but... I would argue that it isn't your isn't their point of proof, <laughs> but we could be here for hours with that. Um, as I said, we will we've still got a couple more episodes to go. We're not going to be discussing any new episodes of Game of Thrones because there aren't any left. Uh, but we will have our season eight award show. It's our typical award show, specifically about season eight, and then we'll have our series award show, our series retrospective, where we will do an awards episode. But instead of giving our winner of the season winner of a loser of the season best episode of the season that sort of thing uh we'll be talking about the winner of the show and the loser of the show of the series and we will also if you all have the patience to listen we will be ranking every single episode from our least favorite to our favorite all along the series we've been grading each episode with a score sort of out of 10 but on a scale of 20 so like 7 7 7.5 8 8 8.5 Uh, I've added all those scores up and averaged them all out I've put them all in a big list and we'll be reading them out from 73 all the way through to 1 uh, when uh, when we come back for the series retrospective thank you all so much for listening to us talk thank about you. every single episode of Game of Thrones um,
1: Lizzie you're done I know finally my watch has ended
0: Yay! Yay. there you go got a reference from the show it means it's left an impact somewhere <laughs> so yeah so yeah we'll see you next week and thank you very much for listening for all of these months and uh, technically years that have gone by since yeah. we started this so yeah we'll see you next time
1: see ya mm-hmm.